I got a billion dollar mindset, steady as a flow, navigating all my time spent, letting us know. Billion dollar, billion dollar, billion dollar. All right, we are officially recording. So what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Internet's number one success podcast, Into the Mind, where we break down and analyze the characteristics, strategies, and stories of successful entrepreneurs, investors, and high achievers so that together we can learn from their mistakes, be inspired by their victories, and replicate their formulas for success. I'm your host, Marlon Johnson, former parkour athlete turned real estate investor and entrepreneur, and I am on a mission to help 7.8 billion people improve their personal, professional, and financial lives by empowering their mindsets and connecting them to the right people. Today, my guest is a man who's faced adversity and challenges that would break most people. See, as a child growing up, he had very little stability moving across the country several times before the age of 10. He was introduced to racism at an early age, entering into an all-white neighborhood, hearing names like nigger, spick, you know, just the worst. And through this all, he actually watched his father step into a place of doing things that weren't leading him down the right path. He eventually walked down this path himself, entering into gang life, finding himself incarcerated at the age of 18, being sentenced with a 30-year sentence that ultimately started to shift his mind. From there, he was able to actually leave that and enter back into the real world where he came in and put his eyes on real estate. With that eye on real estate, he entered into construction, gained an education, and took imperfect action and ran and operates a seven-figure business. He shows that it does not matter where you start as long as you make up your mind on where you're going. Today, we're going to deep dive into his experiences while he was behind bars, explore what caused him to change, talk about what it takes to create a seven-figure operation from scratch, and learn about what he plans for the future. So please help me in welcoming my guest, Ray Spencer. Ray, what's going on, bro? Let's go. What's up? That was a lot right there. <laughs> Dude, that was a lot. I, I'm not gonna lie. I got like a little lost even in my you, own introduction that I you, wrote for you. I was like, bro. you know too much. You know too much about me, bro. <laughs> yeah, bro, yo, it's honestly I, I tell this to you every time. Like the first time I came out to a meetup in Arizona, I saw you as the speaker. I had no clue who you were. And I started listening to your story. It captivated me, man. Like it really, I was like, wow, this is I felt the energy. I was like, this guy's real. This man is real. Like, I want to get to know him. I want to help him along his journey. And I want to share his story with others because of what it has the power to do. So I'm excited to have you on the show, bro. This has been a long time coming. It It has. It has. I appreciate it, bro. It's the timing. The timing was right where we needed to be at. Good, good term. Good term. Good time. I love it. I love it. Let's go. Let's go, bro. (laughs) Yeah, let's let's let me let me let me throw something. Okay. You said 18, 14, 14 is when I first went to prison. Oh, dang. See? So, I mean, that's the thing. We're about to, we're going to be jumping into your, your past today, right? And, you know, I'm happy that you corrected me there because I, I don't know everything fully. So, look, let's jump into this. You've answered these questions before on other podcasts. However, you haven't been here into the mind. So, I want to know from you, right? You didn't necessarily have the most positive role model growing up as you were, you know, coming into yourself. Did it feel normal as a kid, you know, with the life that you were growing up with, or did on the inside, did you feel like something was off? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I mean, there's an innate thing, right, inside where you feel like this is wrong, 
but this is right. Like kids know when something's not right. Kids know when it's like, mm, I shouldn't be doing this. So like my dad used to, my dad used to have me steal it, man, like JCPenney's. Right. So he used to like take me to JCPenney's and we'd like try on like four or five different clothes. Right. We put on the good ball stuff and the, and the, and the um, Tommy Pill figure stuff back in the day. Mm-hmm. And something inside definitely was like, man, I shouldn't be doing this. But it does feel normal because that's part of your family. That's part of like this. I guess this is what I'm supposed to be doing because, you know, dad is dad. Dad knows dad knows what's right for me. Yeah. So it has, no, a, weird, mean- it has, a, it has a weird concept to that. It's like it's, it's like, you, you know, when you, you know, when you're doing something wrong. But after a while, like you start to convince yourself that it's right. And, you know, I'm always curious about that, right? Because that's something that as people are coming up, especially at a young age, when we're so impressionable, those are our formative years. And as we start to learn certain behaviors, you know, there, I always wonder if there's something innate as it's going on that, you know, uh, almost like an intuition, right? An instinct that's trying to speak to you, that you feel yourself pushing down. Or if it was like, hey, I didn't even feel this instinct. Like it was just, this is what we do. Yep. There is, bro. There's a, there's, there's, I think everybody has it. I think everybody has a caution button where it's kind of like, I don't know, there's hesitation that you're, 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 you're either your conscious or your subconscious. It's kind of letting you know, like, mm, I don't know about the subject, but definitely seems a little bit taboo. Who knows? Right. And as you're kind of learning, you're kind of like walking to the edge of a cliff and kind of saying, mm, I don't know if I'm supposed to be jumping off this cliff or not right i know everybody's saying jump but i don't know and everybody has that bro it starts off at a young young age so take me back right you're you're young you're like 11 12 years old you're essentially this is the place where you're you've been moved around a few times and where's your father at at this point you know like because you said as or you didn't say this but i know from listening to you in the past this is around the time that you started to be raised essentially by the streets. Yeah. Dad was so dad was in and out of jail prison. Uh, I want to say around eight, he got out of prison for, uh, he was, he's a bank robber for a little bit. Um, so he just got out of prison. He was hopping state to state. And my mother essentially was chasing him from state to state wherever he went, she would like go wherever he, she, he was at because she really wanted her her sons or kids to have, you know, father figure in their life. So we would go wherever. Uh, I want to say at 11 or 12, we were here in Phoenix. We were, we were actually supposed to go to California. So we we're living in New Mexico. Uh, dad got into some stuff, skipped state. So we were actually going to go follow him to California. And we ended up stopping here and never kind of left. So for me, it ended up being... It ended up being like not having the dad there because dad was in California mm-hmm. uh, doing whatever dad does uh, in the streets with drugs and alcohol and everything else. And it become like looking for that actual figure, that actual, I don't know. I don't know what it is for like a young boy, but for us, we're always looking up, right? We're trying to look up somebody, like somebody there, like there's an empty void that you have as a young boy. Like you want somebody that you can be like, right? We all had superheroes, or, you know, people that we looked at on TV or actresses that we actually wanted to be be like. And for me, that desire never really left, even though dad did. Yeah, no, that, that's big, you know, and again, this is why it's so important that we recognize it because it's formative years. I remember myself growing up watching car- 
characters on TV, right? Like those were the people that I was just like, all right, cool. Like Dragon Ball Z, Goku, boom. Like I locked in and that's who I said, I'm going to copy. So for you, it's like you started seeing guys on the street because dad's, you know, running around. Dad's not there to necessarily be the, the role model. So as the streets started raising you, you know, I'm curious, like, what did that start to look like? How did that, you know, progression happen? It's, it, it started more of a, it was a progression, right? It was more of a getting a taste of your first strawberry, right? And realizing that strawberries are fucking delicious, right? Um, it's, it's, and it starts to grow. Now you got like the strawberry fetish, right? Like I love strawberries, my favorite food. So in it is kind of like you start seeing guys who are lawless, who don't play by any of the rules, who live in a good life, have women, have money, cars, um, and pretty much are feared in the streets. So when you get a little bit of taste of that, you started it for me, because I used to, there's certain places I went to um, being the only person who was African-American. Uh, was bullying. So now that I've had a taste of that, I just didn't, I didn't like it. I, I, I despise bullying. I don't like bullying at all. So now being around these guys who have like this power, this influence, this like, when you hang out with these guys, like you're the guy, right? Everybody's like, yo, don't mess with him because he hangs out with them, right? So now you're guilty by association, right? And you actually get like a power uh, behind that, that is great intimidation, great fear, uh, and as a young child, it starts to kind of manipulate on your mind. And when you get a taste of that, um, it's very empowering. When you get around people, I think you call it the campfire effect, right? Yep. Like when you get around certain stuff, bro, and it feels like warm, cuddly, good. And it's like, this is a good feeling. I like this. Like, yeah, I could do this for a while. Right. And it just kind of manipulates you and puts you in a situation where, I don't know, I, I, I'm allowed to cuss? Uh, man, this is open, bro. <laughs> all right. All right. I, it starts to fuck with you, right? So like mentally it does because you'll have a switch in your mind where it's like, what's my alternative in life, right? I can be broke or I could be wealthy by hanging out with the drug dealers, right? I could be a lame dude with no game, right? Or I could be out here where the guys got all the girls, okay? I could be a dude who's scary and everybody bullies and picks on, or I could be the dude who no one even winks at or blinks at. And it really makes you want to pick the side that's winning, right? Not the side that's losing. And it's a unique concept, bro. It's very weird as a young child. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting, right? And like the reason I'm wanting to dive deeper into this is because essentially I want people to recognize like this is what it's like to be able to influence a child and influence another person, but more importantly, a child, because I used to work with kids and essentially the parents always used to ask me, Ray, how are you getting these kids to do, you know, what it is you're asking them to do? And I discovered very quickly that they don't do what I ask them. They do what I show them. If I make it look fun, if I make it look enticing, right, they're going to want to copy whatever it is I'm doing and making it seem like a good time. And unfortunately, a lot of people are wanting to get kids to do things, right? Like, well, I want my child to have a better future. I want this kid to go down this route, to go get educated, to start investing, to do this or to do that. However, they don't realize that when a kid's watching, they're basically just looking at, hey, who's winning? Who seems happy? 
who seems like they've got control of the situation, who's in charge around here. And that's who they're gravitating towards. So it's interesting to hear from your point of view, you know, like you're able to reflect and even see that that was a part of, okay, that was what started to pull you in. So you start to get pulled into this world. And, you know, this world, as you started getting older, it started to lead you to the place of, I didn't realize you got incarcerated the first time at 14. Right. So what what happened there? Uh, I was, for me, I was, I was getting more into, man, I was a bully. That's, I'm just be honest. Uh, I was turning into a bully. Uh, the reason why is one, I got good at fighting. Two, um, I, be, I became obsessed with like the power of doing whatever I wanted to. Uh, and in the streets, I developed the nickname of Maniac. That was my, my surname. Um, I developed, it was my way of acting out, right? So I became the person who was crazy. Like you didn't mess with, you didn't mess with Ray because Ray was the crazy dude. Like you mess with him, you're going to flip his wig. I just like, I like how that, I liked how that sound, I like, I like how that felt. Um, and it pushed me into going to, I used to go to parties for shits and giggles. Um, we, I'd go to parties with Hispanics. Um, we all know how that went. Uh, and, and like with dance, you know, with their women. And I would go to like different college parties and like hang out with their women. And I was just kind of looking for a problem. At some point, I, just, I, I, I became a bully. I was looking for things to, to get into. And it just escalated. And I ended up getting into an altercation with a guy who I knew of at this party. I was dancing with some girl and I think it was a sister. And we were, you know, doing all types of stuff on the dance floor, bumping and grinding. And he just didn't like it. So he went to pull me off of her and we started fighting. It led from fighting outside, inside, uh, led to fighting outside and it just kind of escalated when the party kind of broke out. There's, you know, a couple guns pulled out and people doing some shootings to kind of clear out everybody out. And from that point, like this dude was a dude that he felt embarrassed. Right. And I felt like I wasn't done with him yet. So we kind of had this, like, when I see you, you know, you know, you know what it is. And we kind of went there, man. It was, it was the next time I seen him, it's like a couple months and I seen him tagging, uh, the sidewalk uh, and me and a homeboy uh, came up and we were like, yo, what's up? What you guys doing in our neighborhood? Right. What you guys tag it. And they were like, Oh, we ain't, we're not doing nothing. We're not into nothing. Right. We're like, cool. Well then empty out your pockets. So we're like hitting their pockets up and emptying out everything they had in their pockets. And at this time I had a hammer. I used to carry like a little miniature jackhammer, right? Because I grew up watching Thor. I used to, that was like a super dude I used to look up to with Thor. So I kept this hammer on me. That was like my little weapon of choice. So I pulled my hammer out and I went to throw it at his head as we were uh, about to start fighting. And I watched the hammer slowly kind of just go across his face. And as slowly as it went, man, I was like, oh shit, okay, I missed. Like, it's about to get real. So as it's about to get real, um, I noticed my homeboy was fighting with uh, his partner. And this dude pulls out a gun and puts it to my face. And I have no idea where the gun came out because I searched his pockets. Didn't hit his waistband. Don't know why I didn't. But then I put a gun to my face and put it to my head. And in that instant, man, uh, I, I, like all the way to maybe I was two to three, 
like you get like an instant flashback of like your whole life in like seconds of like yo you did all this and this is the end of it like this is this is it this is what your life amounted to you get like a quick flashback of second of like all the stuff that you've been through and done and I kind of closed my eyes and when I closed my eyes all I heard was three clicks right and flashes in my face and I pretty much felt like that was it this is the end of end of very expensive life so I kind of sat there and as I was sitting there a few seconds went by and I opened my eyes right and I'm like I know he shot me I'm not sure where because I'm still like here Right. I was like, maybe he shot me in the face and I'm just leaking somewhere. I got blood everywhere. I don't know. So I open my eyes and I see these guys running across the street. So me and my homeboy, we run uh, down the street. And as I'm running down the street. Right. The weird thing happened before that, before he pulled the trigger on me um, and I closed my eyes, I seen a like a like a white hand. Right. Go over his hand um, before I close my eyes. It's kind of like a curtain going down. And then I've seen that. When we start running, I ran maybe half a block and then I couldn't, I couldn't run anymore. So I'm telling my homeboy, like, yo, like, hey, bro, I, I can't, I can't, I can't walk. Like my legs ain't working. Right. And he's like, what you mean? I was like, I don't know. My legs ain't working. So I started going towards this lady's house and I collapsed in the driveway and I like turn on my back and I'm looking up in the sky. I'm just like, yo, I, I can't, I can't move. And he was like, yo, you got to move. I was like, I can't move, bro. And then he looks at me and he freaks out. All right. And He's just like, oh, shit. No. Oh, man. No, this can't happen. Right. I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, what's happening? He was like, oh, man, I got to get you an ambulance. got to get an ambulance. So he takes off. Right. I'm sitting here on this cold concrete looking up in the sky. I was like, got to be dying. 100% got to be dying. Like, no way he's freaking out like this. He got to be dying. Man, he takes off. He runs, knocks on a few doors. And the lady's house where it was at, she ends up coming out gorgeous Hispanic woman comes out. She's sitting in my face, right? I feel like I didn't die and went to heaven, right? And I was just like, hell yeah, this is it. Like, this is, this is it. Like, this must be my angel. So the lady's talking to me and she's talking to me in Spanish and she's telling me like, everything's going to be all right. She didn't speak no English. She, everything's going to be all right. And do I need anything? Am I hurt? I'm telling her, no, I'm okay. And she starts checking me and looking at me. And then she kind of runs, gets on the phone and she's kind of like, just hold me as I'm sitting there waiting for the ambulance to come. So ambulance gets there, they pick me up. I find out that um, for some weird reason, he shot me in my leg. Like I got a huge 12 inch scar on my right leg uh, on both sides and in my foot, some, some weird way. So in my, in my leg and in my foot, for some reason I got shot in uh, with this person who was close up in front of me. Uh, end up going to the hospital. Uh, come out like a few days later and I'm on a rampage. I'm like, okay, you just embarrassed me. You got me. Caught me with my pants down. So I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling like I got to catch this dude. Like wherever he's at, I need to find him. And I put the word out. Like when you see, when you see this dude, tell him I'm looking for him. Let him know like wherever it's at, drop the location, drop the address. Let's get it on. So good thing about that, bro, is I never found the dude ever, ever found him, never seen him know anything of like hey he's over here absolutely nothing i'm trying to chase him down uh but i get into a little spiral in my life where i start drinking heavily i start smoking heavily uh at age 14 and you can pretty much call it and say i was a pretty much an alcoholic like we would wake up to a 40 ounce like 6 7 a.m right like straight 40 to the head 
first thing in the morning. So that's how we're kind of living our life. And, you know, a blunt with a 40, that was like common. We'll have that for breakfast, lunch, dinner. That was pretty much the life that I was living. Uh, we end up looking for some money to fund our, our habits. And I end up robbing, we end up robbing a Jack in the Box uh, on the west side here in Phoenix. And as I robbed the Jack in the Box, I end up uh, shooting the manager who was trying to fight me for my gun. That led me to a long prison sentence. So hold on, let's pause there for a second, right? Because I know you would. <laughs> that that's a lot, man. Like I mean, first off, the, like that sort of experience to have had at the age of fourteen. I mean, like if people are thinking about that, that's a you know a freshman in high school, right? Like yeah. that's young. That is a child right there. To to be out on the streets, not only to be out on the streets, but to be causing trouble like that, to be walking around with a gun, to be drinking, to be smoking, and to to have that experience, especially where it starts to spiral. I'm curious, like what what were your parents thinking, you know, as this was going on, like as they were watching, you know, I mean, I, I imagine that they were alerted that their son's in the hospital. Like what what was going through their minds? So dad at this time was like in and out of jail and on drugs. Um, mom was working. So mom had to maintain, right, three sons. So she's working. She's putting in 10, 12 hours uh, working at, I believe she used to work at Goodrich uh, doing something with airplanes um, before she retired. So mom's not really knowing, like she's expecting us to be good kids while we're at home. And the majority of us are, besides me, the, the baby, the rebellious one. I'm out causing trouble in the streets. Um, and she's not really, like when I got shot for her, that was kind of like a eye opener of like, what the hell is going on, right? You know, with my family. Of course I lied and tell mom like, yo, you know, they caught me, cornered me, shot me out of nowhere. I didn't tell her like I was out here causing destruction and, and mm -hmm. causing the problems. Um, all kids do that. We all push it up like, it wasn't me. It was them that was doing it, mom, I don't know. So mom's kind of like, and at this time I'm like on probation, uh, I'm on intense probation. I just got off of uh, ankle, uh, off a of house arrest. So I was in some trouble, just not too serious. At this point, I was really starting to get more uh, in, into uh, getting heavier into like gangbanging and drugs at yeah. this point. So my, mom's mindset is, for me, looking back in retrospect, mom's mindset was, Definitely concerned, but she can kind of see where I was at. Like I was committed. I was committed to this lifestyle. There was nothing turning me back from all the conversations, being grounded, taking this away, taking that away. Like I'd sneak out the house. If I got to get out the house, I climb out the window, you know, and be out in the streets with my homies. So at this point, mom was like, she's too busy to kind of, she's trying to maintain life. She's too busy to kind of like focus on what I'm dealing with and what I'm going through, right? Just to kind of make a living for all of us. Right. And what I want to like point out here, I mean, essentially at this point, right, like you're as you were at this age, as you were at this time, especially after the Jack in the Box incident, where now you shot somebody, you shot a manager and you're now facing some real time. Yeah, essentially the world, I imagine, is looking at you as pretty much this is a lost cause. Yeah. Yeah, I went to um, I remember when I had I had a, I had a moment where. I've never seen my public defender. 
ever until the day of my actual court date. Like I've never seen her. We never talked. We never had conversations. The day of, um, she was like, yo, they want to give you a plea, right? I'm like, yo, what's the plea? Uh, and it's me, her, and my mother. They can't talk to me because I'm a juvenile. And she's like, 30 years is the plea on the table, right? And I don't know. I was too tough in my mind and probably too ignorant to understand what that meant at the time. But it didn't fade me. It was just like 30 years, and I was just like, all right, you know, that's what it is. That's what it is. Let's, let's take it, right? But what hit me is when she said it, right, my mom was across from me, right? I was trying not to make eye contact with mom. Right, because that's that's the hurting point. And mom breaks down, absolutely just breaks down to a point where she's like snot coming out her nose, breakdown. Like she's just like, no, can't be true, not happening. And I'm trying to do everything not to kind of like look at mom, but then I have to lock eyes with mom, and that was tough. I gotta let her know that that's okay. It's gonna be all right. Like we'll take we'll take the thirty. So. I go into court that that time and I'm like, I'm about to plead to 30 years in prison. And the judge, the guy who I shot ended up being in a wheelchair, still alive. Um, but the judge they gave me was also in a wheelchair, right? So as soon as I see him roll in, I'm like, oh, okay. Throwing the book at me, 100%. Like never, never coming out of this ever again. And the guy ended up being lenient on me. Like he knew, he knew my case. He knew my, I've been, I've been in like trouble for a long time from like schools to running away to just getting all into different stuff where they just, I guess they knew my history because I had a case manager there and my probation officer was like, yo, this is, this is Ray in a nutshell. And he had some sympathy with me. And he was just like, man, you've been through a lot. You got a lot going on. He's like, but unfortunately for you, you've done some serious stuff that causes for you to do some time. Um, so he ended up giving me 15 years of prison. Man, Ray, I'm not going to lie. 15 years. I mean, first off, 30 years hearing those words come at come at you. Like, and it's funny because like at that age, you're what, 18 now at this point, right? No, 14. You're still 14. So you're still 14 <laughs> at this yeah. point. You're getting you're getting grown man time. Like That's some grown man yeah. time. Yeah. It's 14. So I was turning 15 at that. At this time, I was turning 15. I believe I turned 15 when I first got uh, sentenced to jail. And yeah, they charged me as an adult. I got charged as an adult. So here's what I want to ask you, right? Because essentially, even like the first time you hear 30 years, I mean, you don't even have a proper reference of what that means yet. You've only lived 15 years. Like, so not only is that your entire lifetime, it's twice your lifetime. You, so you essentially got two life sentences in that moment, right? Like you're talking about not coming out till you're 45 years old and your mom clearly understands what this means, right? She clearly has a better reference towards time because she's lived longer. What I know you weren't looking to make eye contact with her, but internally, like what was going through your head when you heard that? Like when you got that time? It, it honestly, bro, it didn't register. Like it didn't. First of all, I had like a sixth grade literacy. Um, so when, when it's sad, I just, it did not register as far as like the numbers. I was, I was, I know I had did something that was wrong. Right. And I know it was like, I got something coming. Right. So I wasn't, I wasn't oblivious to like, I ain't do anything. Like I did it. Right. You caught me. Let's do it. Let's face it. So it never even registered when it was like 30 as a plea 
I didn't even think of like, I'm not guilty. Let's fight this. I was just thinking like, run it. Let's run it. Let's do it. Wow. So essentially the sentence gets moved down to 15 years, right? The judge, you know, is able to look at you and he's able to have sense enough to say, you know what, this is still a young man. Like this is still a kid. You know, he, he clearly, he made a mistake. He's able to see your history and he still recognizes you got to do some time. Like you, you, like you said, right. You got caught, right. You know what you did was wrong. So now you're going in for 15 years, Right. And this is where, you know, I didn't know this previous information. I knew now when you and I met the first time I heard your story, I knew about you entering into jail. And this was the, the part that got me. It's like essentially like when you were inside there, your experience entering in and essentially because you're going in there, a young man, angry at the world, pissed off, making mistakes. But that's not who came out. So what happened to you inside there? Like when you went inside, what was that experience like? Um. For a majority of us, it's a welcoming party because you got all your homeboys. So all the people like you go to school with, you, you know, you went to charter school with. I was like, I ain't seen him since, you know, eighth grade. These guys are there like, yo, what's up? Like, what you doing here? Like, uh, man, they got me. Right. Like, OK. So it's kind of like a welcoming party of people you even went to school with, seen on the streets, parties in different places. Now these people are all getting kind of summed up all in one area. And it's kind of like. Yo, what's up? Okay, bro, what's up? Okay, you here too? Like, yep, all right. So in the in the beginning, it's the juvenile phase. The juvenile phase is the worst because, uh, man, we get, we're lawless. There's no rules to what juveniles do when they're full of testosterone uh, and they're just knowing they're not going nowhere for any time, any, anytime soon, they're not going anywhere. So we would have... Like the first few years till I turned 18 was nothing but riots, fights, stabbings, um, just a whole bunch of just bullying, taking people's stuff. And it's just, it was so lawless. Uh, it was just out of control. Like we're just a bunch of animals, straight animals. So my first few years till I turned 18 was just living in that environment and just keeping that standard of I had to be the you know maniac, the top maniac. And if you mess with me, that, that's it. There was no limit to what I'm going to do to make you uh, regret that. So that was the first phase until I turned 18. And I spent my time pretty much in and out of the hole, coming in, coming out, fight, coming in, coming out, uh, until I turned 18. And even at that point, because I was just so mad at the world. I was just mad that I'm here. I got to deal with this bull crap. Right. I'm not around my family. And I, don't, I didn't hear from my family for like the first four years of me being in. Uh, like no one wrote me, seen me or anything at that time. So not sure why or what they were going through. I'm pretty sure it's, you know, some stress and some stuff. And plus the places I was out was like four or five hours out to come visit me. So I'm just going through it and fighting anybody I can. If you wanted it, you can get it. That's that was my mentality until uh, I turned 18 and 18. I went to directly to max uh prison uh max with all the adults these are your badasses these are your top uh, gang affiliated mafia dudes uh they throw me in with all these guys and i'm like learning all the rules of how prison works like this there's you know the mexicans the blacks the whites right indians these guys are fighting these guys california doesn't get along with arizona don't talk to this guy because this guy's a piece of junk. And then I'm just learning all the rules to all the stuff and how 
crazy it was. Um, my first day getting into the adult side, a there was a dude, there was a Hispanic dude from California, and the guy's walking out for a shower, and all you can hear is some ruffling up, and the guy like drops. So everybody's like looking out of their bars, like, yo, what just happened? And I guess the guy walked by and just like cut his neck with a razor uh, as he was walking by. This is the guy from like Arizona and the guy from California. And I guess they didn't get along. So this is like my first entry. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is different than fighting. At least, you know, put the fist up. I was like, this is a different level. Of, like I've, I've hit the big leagues. And just going through that is like, okay, now I need to be like on guard. I need to keep my mind focused of like, man, you could probably go out. Like, I probably could never get out of here. And that was never a concept for me is I can get out of here. Just take me some time. This is more like, damn, getting out of here is going to be tough. Like survival skills have to be at all max mm-hmm. dealing with this place. So for me is I, I end up just being the person who's like, you just don't mess with. And I learned that in prison. That's the person you got to be is you got to be the person to just don't mess with me. If you're the person that's mess with Man, I feel sorry for you. Super, super prayer to you. Like, man, it's a, it's a rough life, rough, rough life. There's things that I can't even mention or talk about that are are what happens in prison. That is like, man, if you get you get to the point where somebody's messing with you and you don't fight back, oh, man, it's just like death to me is probably more immediate than that stuff. Like the stuff they put you through is like, yeah, sucks, super sucks. So I had to be mad, angry. Um, I was causing riots, starting fights, getting all up, getting to different stuff. I didn't like the older generation. So I was always fight the older generation because they felt like they ran everything. So I ran with a whole bunch of young guys who felt the same way. It would always cause problems. And I had an event where, uh, and I was causing so much ruckus with some, some of the guys, some of the guys, and they threw me in the hole. And I'm in the hole by myself after uh, had a couple fights. And, and real quick, for people that don't know what the hole is, like, what is the hole? Oh, so hole depends on what, what where you're at. Hole is a six by six cell concrete um, walls, concrete floor. All your appliances in there are steel, um, stainless steel. That's all you got. You got that and you got a mattress that feels like a washcloth when you wash the dishes. Like you got a human size little sponge that you lay on. That's it. That's all you got. Nowhere to go. No, just bars. Um, a lot of people watch Netflix and scenes, stuff like that. Like none of that stuff is real. That's what pretty much the lifestyle you live. So that's your home. There's no lights. Um, they cut the lights on when they feel like cutting them off. Uh, they turn them on when they feel like. Sometimes they'll leave them on to kind of mess with you. And guards do a whole lot of BS to kind of mess with us when they're feeling like they want to mess with us for whatever reason. So the hole is like the worst spot. The hole is like, like just you yourself. Uh, that's it. You're in a dark spot and you ain't got no material, no nothing in there. Just you yourself and you got to deal with yourself. That's your punishment. That's what the hole is. All right. So you find yourself, they put you in the hole. So you're in the six by, and like, I want people to understand like how small that is. Like six by six, like guys, like I'm six feet tall. That's me laying down. My head is touching the walls. Like, I, like I lay down there, like that's tiny. Yeah, they're like so, seven, six by ten. It's like a six by ten. Yeah, but I mean that's guys. It's a closet. You're, you're essentially in a closet. Yeah. So in but, there, the the warden comes see me, and 
The warden is a little small, short Hispanic lady. I'm not that tall, so I'm five nine. Uh, she comes up, she's like at my chest, and she comes up to the door and she's looking at me, right? So I get up, I'm like, what the hell is this lady looking at me? I walk to the door, I'm like, what's up? Right? And she's like, Spencer, what the hell's wrong with you? Right? And I'm like, oh, fuck you, who are you? <laughs> who are you talking to? You know who I am? Right? And she was like, you don't know who I am? I was like, give a shit who you are. Like, you want to open the door? And she was like, okay. So she says to the officer, right? Open the door, right? And I'm like, oh man. Like it's a, it's a it's a woman too. So I'm like, man, why'd she do that? Like, now she's calling my bluff, right? But I called her bluff, so I got it. So the door's open and I'm like, man, she's serious. Okay, it's about to happen. Okay. So I'm trying to figure out like what do I do? Do I like punch her in the face with Superman punch or kick her? Like, what's like do I bite her? Like, what's what's gotta happen? Right. And I was like, it's a very tiny lady, too. So Opens the door, door gets open, spit a big noogie right in her face, right in her face. And I just watch it just drip down her face. And she looks at me in disgust. And she gives me a look like, oh, you fucked up. Yeah, you really fucked up. Right. And she shuts the door back. And I'm sitting there proud of myself, like, yep, mm hmm. Showed her up, showed her up. Um, she ends up putting me in the whole hole. Right. So there's your general hole. And then there's your in the basement, no access to nobody hole. There's your the hole for the, I call them the forgotten. These are people who probably doing life in prison. You'll never hear from them. They have no family. They're absolutely out of their minds, right? These are nutcases. These are people who at some point just lost it. Mm -hmm. um, and we're talking, to be honest here, we're talking people who are licking bars. We're talking to people who are cutting themselves. Um, we're talking people who are swimming in their own feces type stuff. Like these are people who are just like gone. All right. So she throws me down there with these people. I'm in there and I take it. I'm like, it is what it is. And I'm there for four years of my time. Two of that is wait, 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 what I really four years. Four years. That's crazy. Four years is where I'm at. So she's throwing me in there four years and Two years of that is after like the first, like you use, you, you, you lose time, right? You lose count of time. You lose count of reality. You count everything to try to keep your mind occupied. And you go into this weird mental state where I could tell you every crack in my room. I could tell you every credit, every number, every, I can tell you like when the lights go off at what time. And I think you kind of calculate your life so much um, that, for some odd reason, I can I understand like what drives people crazy is there's no new information anymore. Your mind has nowhere to grow, right? That messes with you. And you, you, you get bored of like, yes, there's 66 cracks. Yes, there's a roach right there. The roach has been there for 33 days, right? And you, just, and you start knowing all these things and, and your mind's going, going bonkers with it. I need something new, right? There is nothing new. It's just you and yourself. And the hardest thing you end up doing is you get to deal with yourself. And I learned that that is a scary individual when you really have to face yourself because yourself knows yourself. So I had, I had moments of talking to myself for a long period of time. Um, we all do this. Everybody talks to themselves, right? But these are real conversations that you're having. And these are conversations where I kind of felt like, um, you've seen Lord of the Rings, right? Yep. I feel like Smeagol. Right. Yeah. I felt like 
like I felt like somebody was like Ray, right? And it's like what Ray, right? Like what, bro? Like that thing? What? What you want? Right? And it's like uh, right. We know something about you. Like, yeah, you know, right. and your yourself is going back with you, like telling you all this different stuff. And it's like, oh, forget you, right? I hate you, right? I don't want to deal with you. And dealing with yourself is the one thing that breaks you. And I had this mentality that nothing would break me. I'd be the strongest person ever. And the person who ended up playing games with me is myself. And my myself kids let me know, like, yeah, you're gonna break, right? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not gonna break. There you are. You're almost there. Couple more days, right? Like, it's like I'm, I'm telling myself, like, nah, like, f you, it's not happening, right? And yourself knows yourself; it knows everything about you. And this is you dealing with the part of you that exposes all your weaknesses. It exposes all the everything about you. And I learned that this is what drives you mad. In this part, I can tell you, I have no idea what happened. Today. Um, I had a period where I couldn't tell you where I was at, what I was doing, and I'm pretty sure I lost my mind at this point. Um, I think the next time I came back to was like several months, three, maybe four months. Uh, I woke up in the hospital and the doctor, I thought he was choking up, right? But he was actually pulling the tube out of my throat. That's what he's uh, either pulling out or pulling in. But I thought the doctor was choking him and I came back and I snapped and I went to grab him and I was trying to hurt him because I thought he was trying to hurt me. So the doctor's like freaked out um, that I just woke up and he like, takes off after I let him go. He takes off and the officers come back and they look at the thing and they're like, oh, he's back. Okay, cool. Take his ass back, right? So they realize, oh, okay, he's good. Nothing wrong with him. Send him on back. They send me back to the cell. I had this moment of like despair, this moment of like, this is definitely not going to happen, right? I got to move around, Marlon, because my, I got to put this on the charger. Oh, no worries. Man, bro, do me a favor. Give me yep. a charger. Charge for what? Like an iPhone charger? Yeah, mine's on my desk. It's a long black one. So I'm having this long little. Um, I get back, man. I, when I get to my cell, I'm like, bro, this is not happening. Like, we're not doing this. Like, not again. Not gonna do it. Nope. I refuse. I don't care what I got to do. If I gotta claw my claws off to get out of here, I'm doing it. So I get back and I'm like, I'm not doing this again. And I notice, I notice I have more time to do. So. I start working out plans of how I can get out of here. I can break out, how I can get out. And there used to be this uh, lady that would pass out pills for, you know, most of the guys in there were like crazy, antidepressants, all, all, all the weird stuff. This lady, I, I, was, I was asking her for like an actual uh, book. Give me a longer one. That's my black one. On your desk? Yeah, small. I'm asking this lady like, yo, give me a book. Like, she'd come by, and she'd like, pills. I was like, I don't want pills. Like, please. Like, I'd beg her, like, yo, give me a book. Like, give me something. Uh, I was like, I can't, I can't do this, yo. Like, I'm crying. I'm like, oh, I can't do this. Like, I, I can't do this again. She was like, just just take your pills. You'll be all right. right? I'm just like, oh, man, this is tough. Like, like, how can I get out of this? Like, what's going on? Like, no one cares about me. No one's thinking about me. No one's worrying about me. And I, and I kind of noticed that there's a dude in there I remember. His name was... It's pretty buff, dude. I remember his name was Herschel Reed. That was his name. Uh, and this dude would kick on his door for 12 hours straight until he fell asleep. Uh, There's another dude who would literally paint his wall with his feces. And at this point, I realized, like, that's my future. That's going to be Ray, right? And I'm just like, I can't do it. I got to do something. Something has to be done. 
So I wait for this lady to come by uh, one day and she was like, pills. And I was like, yo, give me pills. I was like, I'll take some pills. She's like, you don't take your pills? I was like, yeah, I'm gonna take my pills. So she comes, I take my time and she reaches in to kind of like, here, take your pills. She brings my pills, I grab her arm and I lock her arm up in a little arm bar. And I'm like, yo, I'm fucking snapping this bitch. Like, yo, give me something. Give me something to read. And this lady is freaked out. Um, prior to this lady was an asshole, super asshole. Um, but at this point, like I'm about to like break her arm and I'm content. I'm like, yo, I'm about to like snap this thing and I'm pulling on her arm. She's like, no, like stop, wait, okay, don't let me go. I'm like, nope, this arm is, I'm snapping it. And the officer next to me, next to her, pulls out this big uh, can of bear mace. They used to have these big things of mace uh, that they use. So they use bear mace. So he pulls out the bear mace and puts it to my face and screams like, yo, Spence, like, man, let her arm go, man. I have to burn your eyes out. I was like, yo, I don't give a shit. Like, She's about to lose an arm. I'm losing an eye. Let's go. Let's do this. And I'm having a human moment. I'm looking both of them in the eyes. They're saying, like, I'm serious. And I'm, I'm in tears. I'm, I'm serious. Like, yo, this is, this is like, she losing this arm. I don't care. Like, she don't remember Ray Spencer when I die. But this is what happened when you mess with me. And as I'm looking them in the eyes, I'm noticing that they are having, I had a human experience uh, for the first time in my life. where I, I kind of seen that this lady was no longer an asshole. She was human, she was cool, she was kind, and she was at my will, she was at my mercy, and she's begging me not to hurt her, right? The officer's begging me not to hurt her, right? So he doesn't have to hurt me. And I'm looking at these people and I'm running through this weird scenario where it's like, I don't really wanna hurt these people, right? I just don't wanna be hurt anymore, right? That's it. I was like, my only dilemma was like, I don't wanna go through this. Like, why are you guys putting me through this? Right. I don't want to put you through this. And I end up letting her go. And I let her go. And she storms off, calls me every name in the book. And they kind of leave me there for a while. Uh, I want to say a week went by. And as a week went by, I end up. Um, the officer who came, the officer who had the, had the mace uh, threw a book in my cell. It just came by through the book. I still have the book to this day. Uh, the book is Cypher Cybernetics. I call it my manual, I call it my Bible. Uh, it is the one book that has kept me sane. It is the one book, like once I read this book, I was a champion. Nothing could phase me, nothing, nothing can hurt me, nothing can touch me. Um, and it started to develop. The weird thing is this book is a book written by a doctor uh, who used to do surgery. So he would like change people's faces, change people's physical attributes, right? The thing that he noticed as he would change people's attributes. Uh, he would have people who were like ugly and then he would make them probably the most beautiful people on planet earth. But the weird dilemma that they would have is they couldn't see it, right? They were still ugly, right? The world would see it and be like, oh, you're gorgeous. Wow, okay, like absolutely gorgeous. But on the inside, there was something internally that was like, I can't, like my nose is still messed up. My lips, I can't, what do you do to my, I couldn't see it. And there was like, some weird dichotomy that he had broke down in it about having like self-love, about understanding the inner you, right? It's not the same as the outer you. They're actually two different species or two different people, right? Um, he talks about having like different visions. There's, there's the, there's the, there's the, like if you were to close your eyes right now, um, you could still see, right? So it's like, what eyes are those that could still see without the eyes, right? Um, you can close your mouth and say a word in your head, right? And you can speak, right? So if you're not using your lips to speak, 
who's speaking? What is that? And he had these like weird concept about like learning about the inner you and having some love and self-love with the inner person on the inside. I started developing the person that's on the inside and how to really build that person up. Because when that person on the inside is super locked tight, when that person has been developed or built up, nothing external can actually hurt you. Um, and he helped me build like a fortress on my mind where I started learning how to dream. I started learning how to set goals. I started learning how to have plans. I started learning how to project what was going on the inside on the outside. I learned how to kind of tap in uh, internally and deal with some of the issues that I had, just some of the problems that I had, cry it out, uh, talk it out and work things out where I started to learn that I needed some healing and it had to be healed on the inside, not the outside. Uh, and it really developed my mind, bro. Like to, to a point where I was a changed person. Super changed. Bro, let's let's unpack that for a second because you just said a lot. And like I, this is why I wanted to go through the entire backstory because if we had just started there, I don't think people would understand fully what it took to build up to that point. You know, the fact that you said, and I'm reiterating this or highlighting this for everyone that's listening, right? You're in the hole. You're locked in there. You're surrounded by people that have totally lost control of their mind. And you at some point do lose control of your mind. You at some point find yourself snapping back into your own reality, recognizing, damn, I've been gone. I I haven't been here. And at that point you get thrown back in, but this is the first time it hits you that the reality of your situation, the reality of looking around the people that you're surrounded by at this moment in time and seeing that I'm going to end up just like them if I don't change, if I don't do something different. So much to the point where you actually grab the woman's arm, you're ready to snap it. And in that moment, you actually, I like what you said, you had a human moment. You had a human experience the first time ever where you're actually connecting to another human being. You're, it sounds like the first time you ever felt empathy, where you truly felt empathy for another person. Good work. And what's amazing is, that empathy clearly connected, not just on your side, but on their side. And like, I want to highlight this because this is something that people don't realize that when you're experiencing something, the other side is experiencing too. When you have those true human moments, clearly the other side experienced because like you said, a week later, the book was delivered. The book was dropped into your cell, which means you also resonated with that person. You also resonated with that guard. He also felt your presence. In that moment, you mattered, right? You existed, you were seen, and you were heard, which is big, you know, especially like from hearing what your childhood was like, you didn't necessarily have that, not in a real way, maybe at a surface level way, but not in, a, in the depth that you were looking for, that you were craving. So you get this book, Psycho-Cybernetics, which is such a phenomenal book, such a phenomenal book, and it starts to teach you about your mind. So like you said before, while you're in this cell, your mind essentially used up all the resources it had, and it wasn't, in a sense, creating anything more. But you started to realize your mind didn't need to rely on what was on the outside. It can actually create internally. So talk to me about that. Talk to me as you started to realize that the mind could create internally, you know, because essentially this is now becoming a new chapter in the evolution of Ray, you're, you're still locked up, you're still in the hole, but now you've got something, new. you have something that wasn't in there with you before, which is access to your mind. 
well for me it 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 I don't know it gave me a new concept it gave me a new concept of information right like a lot of information was already in me right it was already within for me to reflect on right the answers were in me to reflect on and it allowed me to like the book just gave me like surface stuff that I would have to pull out from within right it would ask questions that were already like within right so it asked me like what does empathy look like right I didn't get that from the book I had to draw it from inside of myself to bring that answer out to be like, well, this is what empathy looks like. This is what pain looks like. This is what love looks like. This is what, and I had to define those answers and it helped me understand that a lot of stuff that we deal with, we go through um, can be solved on the inside. If you can get to the root of it, if you can actually look at it and analyze it, like this is the reason why I feel this way. This is the reason why I feel unworthy right? Because so much of my life I've been told I won't amount to shit, right? And I'm going to be like my dad, right? So these are things like, that's not even true, right? These are things things that's been programmed in me, and I can actually adjust it if I can get to the issues. And it, it, it started to help me cope, I guess. Um, not really grow, but I started, I started to cope with my situation. I started to cope with myself. I started to cope with where I was at, why I was there, Right. And I knew all these answers and I wasn't playing the blame game. I wasn't and I wasn't angry anymore. I noticed I was angry because I felt like like people put me here. Um, but at the end of the day, it was me who put me there. Right. And I noticed like it's you like it has nothing to do with anybody else. Like it's all you, baby boy. And you have to man up to it. You have to own up to it. And I didn't really need too much knowledge. Uh, just that book and kind of really, really going over some affirmations really going over some questions and retuning and rewiring my brain like super helped me out like, i recommend that book like all day long um that was a book that kept me for the next two years super sane um they thought i was a buddhist monk at that point so they didn't let me out and was like yo like this dude's good and i was like yeah i'm, I'm good um and i would like work out work on my body work on my mind i started i started to pray more at that time i started going into pretty much mind body and spirit and like tapping into all three of those things and having some type of alignment between all three. So I would have like a ritual that I would, you know, get up, meditate. I was doing yoga at this time, but I didn't know what the hell yoga really was. Uh, I would meditate without even knowing how to meditate. I would just, I, I knew about it. I just, I would just try it. Um, and I'd read my book a little bit. I'd work out. And even with the, like there's certain days like they wouldn't feed you. So like I was able to maintain with all that stuff going on. Um, because I had built my mind up as a fortress. So when I got out, uh, the, the warden came by and she was like, okay, you changed, right? Boom, let's, let's get you out. They put me back out in uh, normal general population with everybody else. And man, I was changed, like super changed. Like the stuff that everybody was into, it just didn't matter to me anymore. Uh, the people I was fighting for didn't matter to me anymore, right? So I was worrying and being concerned with like people not coming to visit me. I was worrying about uh, people not sending me a letter. I was worrying about all these different things that just didn't matter to me at, at this point. It was kind of like I was reborn to a different person and I just wanted to fuel my mind. So the first thing I did, was like, yo, library, 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 library. And at this point I had a terrible vocabulary. Like reading that book to me was a struggle. Like it was words in there that I, I couldn't really read the entire book. Um, because I didn't know the words. So I started like dictionary, 
uh, once they get me to the library, like dictionary, I started reading the book, I started understanding more, I started comprehending words better. And I noticed at this point in time, like my vocabulary was crap, absolute crap, uh, where people just couldn't understand me. Like I'd be like, yo, bro, swing over there and swoop that up for me off that tape. And you'd be like, what? What'd you just say? All right? And I'd be like, yeah, just swing over there, swoop that up, pick that up on the table. You'd be like, what? Okay, whatever, though. And this is how I would talk to people. And after like a few months of being in the library, man, I noticed like my vocabulary changed. I was learning new words. I was able to communicate with people. My communication skills grew far, far, far better. And for me, this drastically changed like my trajectory. Um, and I was, I was able to like have more conversations. Like there's books I was reading, I was reading nonfiction for a while. I was reading fiction for a while and I was like, I don't want this, like, give me the nonfiction. Give me the real deal. And I started reading self-help books and I just got into this pattern of just like education and knowledge that put me on a whole different level of learning. And it started to grow me into a person where I was beyond prison, bro. Like my, I was living my life outside of prison. That's where it got to a point. Too. Man, that's how Ray. What's interesting here is the the journey you described is, you know, this is a journey that we've seen happen within people throughout history, right? These are like something that comes to my mind immediately is like thinking of the story of Nelson Mandela, right? Yeah, thinking of 25 years, right? Have been locked <laughs> up. In, insane, 25 years. Right, right. And because we're, we're talking about being inside, trapped inside somewhere and not succumbing to your environment. Right. Becoming the mastermind of your life, increasing your vocabulary, doing all of this. Right. This is an outlier. These are not the this isn't what normal individuals do. Right. Normal individuals succumb to the environment the way. And you had experienced this because you had spent your life up until this point succumbing to the environment, being pushed around by the waves. And then at some point you decided to take control. You made a decision. You made a choice. Now. Here's what I want to do, because there's so much more to unpack with you. However, there's only but so much time in a day. <laughs> We're going to be doing a part two. We're wow. doing a part two for the listeners because they need to know now, like we, we've taken them. This is like I'm about to put them on a cliffhanger right now. This is episode one with Ray. Right. Because we're going to come back and we're going to learn as Ray left. Right. As Ray started to get himself to a different place. Right. That entire 15 year. Right. He didn't serve the entire 15. I did 11. 11 out of 15, which is still a long freaking time to go in there as a boy, to go in there at 14 and to exit as a man, but a new man, someone that was reborn. We're going to talk about how when he came out, how he started to go and recreate, redevelop his life from nothing. All right, we're talking, you're walking in, you're walking out with a record, right? It's hard for someone like that to go get work. So he had to go and create his life literally not even from scratch but from behind the starting line so i'm looking forward to that next episode so here's what i'm going to do right before we we start that next episode and before because there's some questions i like to end all my episodes with i'm still going to save those for the final episode but what i want to ask you right now is for if someone's listening to this right now and they feel like yo ray like Listen, man, I never admitted this to anybody else, but like what you described earlier, just being angry at the world, being pissed off at the world, like I'm feeling that right now. And I never said it to anybody else. 
What sort of advice would you give them if someone's walking around the world as who you were when you were 17 years old, 18 years old? Like, what would you say to them? Was there anything that could be said to a person at that point in time? Yes and no. Um, it depends on what extent the person is at. Um, there's, there's, there's some people who don't want to hear nothing. And you haven't hit rock bottom yet, right, to even listen, right? You're, not, you're just not there yet. Uh, for those people, right, you, I would say don't never give up, right? Keep going, keep fighting until you're really tired of being, like, you, you, won't, you won't get out of your situation until you're absolutely fed up, pissed, and ready to, like, give it all up. I don't care where that, I don't care if it's working for the same job, I don't care if it's dealing with abusive spouse, uh, I don't care if it's dealing with uh, drugs, alcohol, like, if, if no one can get, it, get a hold of you on the inside, there's no message for you. Just don't give up. Um, that's the message. For the people who do, though, uh, and are looking for something, I also would tell you never give up. And start working on the inside to get what's on the inside outside, right? So you have to create these things to destroy these things, right? That's pretty much how this life works, right? You have to take the stuff from the inside, pull it out to the real world, right? And these are the things that all of us see, like these pictures, these chairs, these headphones on my head. These are thoughts, these are ideas, these are stuff that somebody had on the inside and they brought it to the outside, to light. Um, once you bring things from the outside, you can destroy it, right? Once you bring some reality from the outside in, you can look at it and analyze and say, mm, that really wasn't the story, right? Or that used to be the story. I'm going to change the story. And I no longer want to be that person. I no longer want to live that life. And the thing that I would say to these people is, A, connect with me. Um, B, is you are the author, you are the creator, you are the videographer, uh, you are the book writer of this book. And at any point in time, you could change it. Bro, that's wise words. Hopefully y'all see why I love Ray so much. Like this man, not, not only is when he gives advice, it's like, it's not theoretical. It's something that he's lived through. It's something that he continues to live now he practices what he preaches so ray for the people that you know they are like i can't wait till episode two i want to connect with you now what is the best way for them to connect with you so the best way to connect with me is through instagram uh, uh at ray spencer underscore uh, ray underscore spencer underscore investor uh, i'm also on facebook at ray spencer i'm on snapchat as ray spencer i'm on twitter as ray spencer you can get a hold of me uh, I also take phone calls, DMs. So uh, my phone number is 602-575-5827. Because I know a lot of people go through some uh, really hurtful, emotional stuff. And I know a lot of people tell me not to put my phone number out there. But I know what it's like when you're stuck. And I know what it's like when you need somebody to kind of listen to you when you've been through a rough, rough spot. Um, and those people are far hard to kind of find. So I am that person. Yo, yeah. I... I love that, man. I appreciate that. And that's something I've seen you show up for so many people. Like you make yourself accessible. And for that, I am grateful. And I would say if anyone's listening and you, you have that feeling like I should reach out, do it, reach out, like ask for help. Do not, this game of life is not meant to be done alone. So Ray, I want to say thank you for coming on. I'm looking forward to getting to part two. 
right? We took people into the darkness. We're leaving them on a little bit of a cliffhanger. They want to see essentially now <laughs> what happens after you're out and on the other side and you've gained control of your mind. So we're going to be diving into that. Guys, make sure you go and follow Ray. If you got any sort of value at all from this episode, I need you to do all the stuff like subscribe, share, and leave a comment and let us know what stood out to you the most. Let Ray know if he said something that resonated with you. The challenges. We don't get to see you when we're doing this. So the only way for us to know that this is hitting home, that this is bringing some sort of value is for you to do the next step and reach out. So screenshot this, tag myself, tag Ray. I'm going to have all of his information down below. And I want to hear what you have to say about this episode. So be back for part two. It's going to be phenomenal. Ray, you got any final words for the people? Yeah, I want to say um, I just started doing this. I just started sponsoring myself and others. Um, for the first 10 that hit you up, Marlon, uh, I will give them that that book, uh, Cypher Cybernetics. I'll give them a copy of that book. Yo, that's fire. So now, yeah, I got to be the first one. So the first 10 people <laughs> that tag that tag myself, that tag Ray on or IG, do it on IG, right? Make a story, make a post. Matter of fact, make it a post. Tag myself, tag Ray, and the first 10 people are going to get a copy of Psycho Cybernetics mailed to them from Ray. Yo, Ray, I appreciate you, bro. Let's go. Let's go. I'm looking forward to this next one, man. <laughs> Yo, we'll see you guys for part two. All right, brother.